0: Chapter 10, beginning at verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door of the If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd... I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. May God bless the reading of His Word. Be seated, please. <clears throat> As I was uh, studying this passage this week, I thought about the current situation that we are living in in the world, and how how much of a depressing place the world can be at times, uh, oppressing as well. And so, this morning, I wanted to, with this passage of scripture, I wanted to, uh, I want this to be an encouragement to you. And a delight to you in knowing that the Good Shepherd is with you and He is leading you. We've seen a great deal in this passage about false teaching and false teachers. And we will continue to see that through the passage because it is part of the narrative of the analogy that Jesus is giving. But this morning we will try to concentrate, for the most part, (coughs) on the passage as as it is through verse 10 and the encouragement that it gives us there. So let's pray before we begin. Our Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day, for the opportunity, once again, the privilege to come and to be together as your church, as your people, your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. You are our good shepherd, our great shepherd of the sheep, and we delight in you. We, we love you, we desire to follow wherever you lead, but this world is full of darkness and deception and trouble and tribulation, distress on every turn. Help us to look this morning to the fold as it is your fold, your sheep. You are our good shepherd. And we pray this morning that we would be encouraged, encouraged to follow closer as you lead us on, and one day eventually, to glory, where you are. And we will behold you face to face as friends behold one another. So we thank you for this, and for this Lord's Day together, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've spoken thus far up through verse 5, and we see in verse 6, which needs very little commentary, that the the Pharisees did not understand what Jesus was telling them in this analogy. And and I've called it a parable. This is really more of an analogy uh, with various characters that mean something else uh, as Jesus is giving it to us here these Pharisees that he is speaking to are in opposition to himself. They are shepherds, but they are evil, wicked shepherds, and they are opposed to him. They, he calls them thieves and robbers. They are false shepherds of the flock, and he is the rightful shepherd who does Only good for his own. Had they known from their Old Testament, they would have picked up on the analogies that he is giving. But they did not understand what he was saying. They are too busy focusing on themselves and what they can get out of God's people, rather than the care of God's people itself. Jesus, seeing that they do not understand, expands and amplifies His words to them more specifically. And we see that all the way down through verse 21, as He explains over and over who He is, what He came for, and who His people are. Really are. Now, Jesus says in verse 7 Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the good, I am the door to the sheep. So, this is the third time he has used this phrase, ego a me, I am, in reference to himself. It is an identification phrase and one that they would pick up on instantly. Because it's the same I am that God used speaking to Moses on that day when he went up on the mountain and saw a bush that burned but was not consumed. And he had that dialogue with God and God told him to go to Pharaoh and he said, Who shall I say sent me? And he said, You tell him I am sent you. I am that I am. The all-sufficient one. The eternal one. Jesus is using this same phrase, and it is emphatic in the sentence. There is emphasis here on the I am, so he is emphatically proclaiming his deity. He is saying that he is God in the flesh. This is one of the essentials of salvation. Those who reject the deity of Christ as God in the flesh are not saved and are classified by John as antichrists. Listen to what he says, 1 John two eighteen. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. 1 John 2, verse 22. He who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. When you deny Jesus as God in the flesh, you deny God Himself. 2 John, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world... Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. So it's very clear that these Pharisees, though they are the religious. And quote-unquote spiritual leaders of Israel do not know God, they are not a part of God's flock, and yet they are leading God's people. Now, we see in verses 8 and 9 the unmistakable application about Jesus himself as the only true shepherd of God's sheep. And there is a dual application in these verses as to who Jesus is to the sheep. Verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So who is Jesus to his sheep? Well, first of all, in verse 8, we see the relationship, or the relation to, to his sheep. He is the door to the sheep. To the sheep. So, in other words, if we could say it another way, Jesus is the door that the sheep recognize and hear. This is a beautiful thing when it happens. Because a person can go through their entire life... Up until the point that God's Holy Spirit invades them and opens their eyes as to who Jesus is. And all of a sudden, you see Jesus as the entrance into heaven. He is the door. They recognize Him. They hear His voice. Jesus has already said the day is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who... Who are dead will live. Taken together, verses 7 and 8 give a marvelous explanation of verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the... But by the door climbs up another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So if you paraphrase verses 1 and 2 with verses 7 and 8, it would be paraphrased like this. I most solemnly assure you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by faith in me and appointment by me, but enters Illegitimately, that man is a thief and a robber. Thus, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But he who enters legitimately is the shepherd of the sheep. So, Jesus is contrasting himself with all of those who had come before him. So, what does that mean, before him? Well, the preposition before has several different uses and meanings in Scripture. Examples. It can be before as in a location or a place. It's used that way in Acts chapter 12, verse 6. When, when Peter had been locked up in prison... And it says in verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night while Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door. They were standing in front of the door. It's also used uh, before, can also be used as a particular time or before time, as in Matthew eight twenty nine, behold, they cried out. This is the, the demons at the, and the man at uh, Gadara. And they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? There was a time when they would be tormented, and they knew it. And they're asking if he's going to do it before that. also used as a preference. As in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, Peter says, keep loving one another. In other words, before all or, or before anything else, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Now, there are other uses of of the preposition before, but the one that we're concerned with is that second one. That's the way John uses it here. All that came before me, as in time before me, are thieves and robbers. And I've given you some passages to look up there in John's Gospel with regard to this. And that's how he's using it here. So, Jesus is certainly not speaking of the Old Testament prophets that came before Him, or John the Baptist himself who came before Him, because John showed the way for Christ to come. He is speaking of those who call themselves shepherds and false prophets. Those those that came before Him who who duped the people, who told the people lies, who gave them error, who deceived them. The, the prophets, the, the Old Testament prophets that were false, the kings that were false, that did not follow God. These are the ones he is talking about. They sought to increase themselves at the expense of God's sheep. And when he's saying these things, he's pointing directly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are the rulers and religious hierarchy of Israel. they are doing the work of their Father, the devil, as Jesus plainly told them in John 8:44. They are using illegitimate means to gain power, wealth, and honor for themselves and not for God. To the sheep, the true people of God, the the Pharisees were disregarded. Those who followed Christ could certainly not follow the Pharisees because the Pharisees were false teachers. They are thieves and robbers. They were there before Jesus came into the world and they are still present in our text and they are still present in our day. They're not, they're not Pharisees necessarily, but they act like Pharisees. They do the same things. They lead people astray. They are trying to deceive many, but they will not, hear me carefully, they will not deceive God's elect. Of all the false teaching that is going on in the world today, especially in America, now, there are other places, there are a lot of false teachers in every country, but in America they're, they're out front, they're, tele, they're televised, and their voices are heard everywhere. What does that tell you then about those who are listening to them? It tells you their faults too. For God's true sheep, God's elect, will not listen to another so people who, people who aren't educated in the Scripture, who may know Christ and are, have been drawn into those groups that are getting false teaching, will eventually find that they're not lining up with Scripture. And they, they tend to leave those groups and find a place where they can hear the truth of the Word of God. They're still with us today. But the true sheep of God are in tune, are tuned into the voice of their shepherd, and they will not listen to another. Jesus said in in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. This past week, my wife has been sort of in touch with a... um, a schoolmate that she went to school with years ago and this lady is writing uh, Mary and asking questions uh, uh, do you do you know this person uh, and and are they okay and do you know this person and so she's been writing back and they've had this dialogue going on for a week now uh, back and forth and she's been she's been sending this uh, schoolmate of hers to people who preach the word and she'll say, Do you know so and so? Yes, I know who that is. He's a false teacher. Listen to these. And she gives them lists of people to listen to MacArthur and Sproul and Begg and, and Washer. You see, there comes a time when, when God's true sheep, who are sitting under some sort of false teaching, realize that they're not hearing the truth. As it is according to Scripture, then they then they desire to know the truth, and they want to get into a place where they can hear it week by week. That's why we come and meet. Don't you find that when you miss the ministry of the Word from from the pulpit, that something is missing for the week? So Jesus is the only door to the sheep. They look to Him as their one and only shepherd. But in verse 9, there's another aspect here. Jesus is seen as the door for the sheep. He's not only the door to the sheep. In other words, they recognize Him. But He is the door for them. They have access. And He alone is and always will be the door by which the sheep enter the fold. Every time we come together, Jesus is for us in the fold. He's with us. We are not alone. For every true sheep, He is the door. For the under-shepherd, the under he is the door to the sheep. For the sheep, he is the door of all blessings of salvation. To, the, to be saved, it means that they will be <clears throat> given life where only death reigned. No one who is dead, hear me, no one who is dead can go in and out. You have to be alive to go in and out. The analogy is very clear. A door leads in and out. The door gives the shepherd access to his sheep that are inside. It gives the sheep access to the fold and to the pasture which is outside. When a sinner comes to Christ, he finds that he is supplied. With all that is necessary for both life and for godliness as we follow our shepherd. Through the door and inside the fold there is forgiveness. There is fellowship. There is rest. And there is safety. Outside the fold there is direction and fulfillment as we feed ourselves where our shepherd leads us. And as we drink from the well... That never runs dry. Jesus is all in all. He loves his sheep. He keeps his sheep. As the door, he guides them and enables them to approach the Father. He provides for them freedom that is found in his loving embrace. But most of all, there is salvation in Christ. The door. He saves. He said, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. That is a direct, indicative statement. It is a matter of fact. When you come to Jesus and you go through the door, which is Jesus, you are saved. It's done by faith. There is forgiveness of sin and rescue from hell in Christ He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to him, to the Father, but through him. Notice in verse 10, he reiterates what the false teachers do. The goal for the false teachers is to kill or to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is with reference to the sheep. No false teacher likes the true gospel. Because it, it ruins what they're after. So they want to destroy those who would preach it. And teach it. And believe it. And follow it. They're... They are doing the will of their father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he still practices everything that is outside the truth. The unbelieving live and act in that same way. They have no hope, no peace, no freedom. They are imprisoned by their own sinful desires and act according to those desires. This is the plunder of false teaching. It destroys. It destroys any, any hope of a relationship with God. It destroys the need for peace. I mean, the, the actual gaining of peace when it is so needed. On the other hand, Jesus came to give life. So the thieves, they want to steal and to plunder and to destroy and to kill any kind of spiritual life that is there. But Jesus does just the opposite. He brings with Him life. Not life that is, that is uh, here and now. Not life that is the run of the mill. But a life that is one of abundance. He says, I came That they might have life abundantly. What does that mean? Well, the word abundantly means something that is extraordinary. Something that is remarkable. Something that is exceptional. Something that is outstanding. We use these words all the time about things that are not necessarily uh, blessings. Blessings. It is not simply an existence that ekes out a daily grind. But it is a life that is full and joyful. Even in the midst of trials and sufferings. The Amplified Version says that they may have and enjoy life and have it to the full till it overflows. It's like building a dam in a river and it just it just piles up and piles up behind the dam and there's just an enormous flow of water all the time this is the life that sees the rest of the world that sees the the world that the rest of humanity does not see it is recognized as being full of grace. Listen, everything, everything is grace. You realize that? Everything, the fact that you were able to wake up this morning and get out of bed—that's grace. That you can think clearly to come here this morning—that's that's grace. That you're able to go about your life day to day is grace. It's all grace. Everything we have, everything we do falls under the category of grace. It is the measure of goodness and favor that follows us all of our lives and supplies what we need to live for in Christ and enjoy our relationship with Him. It's all grace. Grace has hope and assurance for the future. But it is not just the future here. Yes, we can look to God's grace for the future. It's like you're standing in a river and, and the flow of the river is coming at you. And you're standing there. All of that flow of the river is abundance of grace. It's flowing at you. But finally the the stream reaches you and all around you now is grace and it flows through your life. Every day you can turn around and see the flow go away down the river into a reservoir. And that reservoir is God's grace that was on you at the moment. Every moment of every day. And when you look upstream, that's future grace. Grace. Well, what's there well everything you need for life and godliness here and everything you hope for for eternity there he has supplied this for us it gives us it gives us hope and assurance for the future this this future that he's talking about is obviously a future that here and a future there with him. It looks beyond the here and the now. And it sees the eternal aspect. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul talks about this. This is what he spoke of in 2 Corinthians 4. He's talking about himself as an apostle and all of the the trials and tribulations that he endured and how that God's grace was sufficient for him. And then he, sa- he says that about us. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 7. He's talking about, he's talking about here the, the work of God that is going on in us and, and in him. Notice what he says. But we have this treasure. The treasure of God's grace. The treasure of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's what we are. We're just clay pots. Now wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that he would say vessels of gold? No. No, clay pots. Why? Why jars of clay? To show that we, the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. If, if, if it were golden vessels, we would be saying, look how beautiful I am. Look how good I am. See how I shine and glisten? See how of great worth I am? That's what we would be saying. But it's just the opposite. He does his work in clay pots. Just clay pots that have been molded by a potter. They're just ordinary. There's nothing beautiful or shiny about them. They just hold something. What do they hold? They hold the King of Kings through his Spirit. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What is that mortal flesh? It is a clay pot that... That would not even be looked at. Except that it has such riches in it. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, those first verses from 7 to 12, he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself as an apostle. But now he switches and he's talking about the saints who are also included in this Notice what he says, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you. Don't you like that? This is not just for the apostle. This is for me and you. He's going to raise us up. Paul's going to be there, but we'll be there too. For it is, 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. There it is. That's the life that Jesus came to give. This clay pot can give glory for what God is doing. And people see it. They don't see the clay pot. They see the one that inhabits the clay pot. And that brings more glory to God than if it were a golden vessel and that person was shining off for themselves. That's why he says in verse 16, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Notice, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's the, the grace and the faith that we're talking about for the future. Can you imagine living as the, as the original creation of God lived for 900 years plus in this body? It's a work of grace that God shortened the lives of humanity. Imagine having a, a cancer for hundreds and hundreds of years. So this is what Jesus is talking about. He, he, he said it before this in chapter 4, verse 10. He said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and the one who was speaking to you, you would ask him for living water. Water that lives. In chapter 7, verse 38, he said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, his, his innermost being will flow what? What? Rivers of living water. That sounds very much like abundance to me. That's what he came to give us abundance of life. So Jesus describes himself in verse 10 as the good shepherd who gives life to his sheep. This description as good points back to verses 2 through 5, where he speaks of his relationship as the shepherd of the sheep. It tells us of his character as the shepherd. He is noble and legitimate and full of authentic perfection. He is in a class by himself and above all others who would call themselves shepherds. Notice that he says, I am the good shepherd. This is the fourth use of Ego eimi," the I am. That he has just used a few words before this. This time he says, I am the good shepherd. Unmistakable, unmistakable attribution to deity. In other words, there is a great satisfaction in the sheep because of the Good Shepherd. He is for the sheep. I see many Christians today who seem to be missing that kind of life. They're living on some kind of residual life, but the peaceful and joyful life of Jesus is not bubbling over in their souls. They're despondent. They're depressed. And everybody has times of depression. I go through bouts of depression quite regularly. But the Lord seems to always bring me out of them. I'm not talking about some kind of fake giddiness that's, that isn't real. Sometimes you see people putting on this joyful act when they're really not joyful inside. That's fake. That's false. I'm talking about a deep down satisfaction and joy that comes from a sovereign Savior. One who is in control of all things. Even the things that happen in your life and mine. So Jesus then leads them to green pastures and still waters. And what do they do? They refuse to eat and drink. And when that happens, something is seriously wrong. Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, writes a a lengthy section on this. It's in the notes if you'd like to follow. He writes, He, that is Jesus, is the owner who delights in the flock. For him there is no greater reward, no deeper satisfaction, than that of seeing his sheep content, well fed, safe, and flourishing under his care. This is indeed his very life. He gives all he has to it. He literally lays himself out for those who are his. He will go to no end of trouble and labor to supply them with the finest grazing, the richest pasturage, ample winter feed, and clean water. He will spare himself no pains to provide shelter from storms and protection from ruthless enemies and the diseases and parasites to which sheep are so susceptible. No wonder Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, I have come that they might have life and habit to the full. From early dawn until late at night, this utterly selfless shepherd is alert to the welfare of his flock. For the diligent sheepman, rises early and goes out first thing every morning without fail to look over his flock. It is the initial intimate contact of the day. With a practiced, searching, sympathetic eye, he examines the sheep to see if they are fit and content and able to be on their feet. In an instant, he can tell if they've been molested during the night whether any are ill, or if there are some that require special attention. Repeatedly throughout the day he casts his eye over the flock to make sure that all is well. Nor even at night is he oblivious to their needs. He sleeps, as it were, with one eye open and both ears open, ready at at the least sign of trouble to leap up and protect his own. This is a sublime picture of the care given to those whose lives are under Christ's control. He knows all about their lives from morning until night. Does He know all about your life from morning till night? Are you one of those sheep that's inside the fold, protected and loved and cared for by the Good Shepherd? Do you find in him satisfaction and peace and hope for the future? This is why he is called the Good Shepherd because he does good for his sheep. He laid aside the good that would have been for him himself and did good for us. Do you know him today? Do you love Him today? Is He the treasure of your life? I pray He is. If not, you need to come talk to me. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for our Good Shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ who came, gave up His place of glory in heaven to come here and live among sinful people he is the wisdom of God and the glory of God he is our shepherd I pray that he is the shepherd of every person in this room that may may not be true of all and so I pray for those people who do not know you as their shepherd. That they would come through the door, which is Christ. That they would believe on Him. That they would have faith in Him for their souls and for salvation. So that, they would, so that you would be their good shepherd as well. We praise you. We love you. Our lives are yours. One day we will be with you and we will behold you face to face as friends face each other. That's our blessed hope. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to talk to me, I'll be available after the service.